Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. It's God's Word. It's not the programs of man that cut to the very core of each and every individual's heart. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Not the plans and the programs of man, but God's Word. It's the Word of God and not the work of man that's able to, again, go in and melt the coldness and break that heart of stone. The most energetic, dynamic, charismatic speaker without the Spirit of God, does nothing to change the inside of a man. That's the work of the Spirit and the Word of God. It's the Word of God, not the Word of man, that changes hearts. In today's message from Pastor David, we are reminded that no matter how charismatic some speakers might be, if they're not preaching through God's Word, their messages will not last. God's Word is sharper than any sword. It's His Word that is able to soften the hardest of hearts and melt the coldest. The power of God's Word and His Spirit are what cut to the core of the heart. Remember to stay in God's Word and watch your hearts be changed. Now here's Pastor David with part two of his message, An Empowered Ministry. tenderness started to develop for those that were in Christ, for those that were walking. We see this so much, not only in his letters, but in particular to his letters here to Timothy, and then a little bit later to to Titus. And I believe because he had such a caring and such a, a loving heart for the church and for brothers and sisters in Christ, I believe he gave his whole heart, and I believe that's why it hurt him so much that at the very end of his days to find those that had been walking with him, had been ministering with him, that they've abandoned him and perhaps even the gospel. And I believe that that broke Paul's heart. At the end of his days, at the end of his battle, as he stayed true to the gospel, as he stayed true to the call of God in his life, to see these others that are backing away and, and pulling away, yeah, I believe it impacted him pretty powerfully. Here in 2 Timothy 2, Paul tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What was rather surprising to me as I was studying this, reading different writers as they shared about this passage, a lot of them spoke about the fact, well, well, Timothy needed to be strong because Timothy, there was, there was apparently some kind of a, a, a weakness in, in his life, in his makeup. Maybe there was a, a meekness uh, for him as an individual. And so Paul is saying, no, man, you need to be strong. Some kind of pulled the understanding that maybe with uh, Timothy's uh, stomach problems that he speaks about in First Timothy, that, that maybe they, they kind of felt that, no, you need to be strong. 
strong in the Lord. Some thought that, well, maybe because he was a young man in the ministry, and even as Paul encourages him in 1 Timothy, man, don't, don't let them despise their youth, that, that maybe that's why Timothy needed to be strong, because he was just too meek, he was too mild. But you know what? I, I Personally, I don't agree with any of those conclusions. I, I look at this within the context of what he's writing, and I read here a, a, a seasoned minister of the gospel, a seasoned missionary, somebody that has gone through such hard times and has had such uh, a rough experience within the gospel of Christ. And here he's talking to this young pastor, to young Timothy. And I believe in essence what he's saying is, look, Timothy, don't try to do this on your own power. You've got to do this in and by and through the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You cannot do it on your own. You have to rely upon the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I believe that Paul wanted to make certain that Timothy understood and that he continually went back to the one from whence cometh his help, that he knew that his help comes from the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. I've heard it said, and whoever it was, it stated that the ministry uh, is, is an easy job, uh, uh, that being in the ministry, well, that's, that, that can't be too difficult. After all, you, you only work two hours a, a week or so. It can't be very difficult. Uh, why, pastors, they, they don't even live in the real world uh, with the rest of us. Well, well, whoever states those things, I'd like to talk with them a little bit and a little bit behind the shed and then a little bit in my office, both ways. <laughs> if the ministry is simple and easy and there's no press in the ministry, then I submit to you that it's probably a non-biblical, non-Christ-centered, non-gospel-preaching ministry. Because you see, the enemy of our souls, you could preach that message all day long and it's not going to disturb him at all. I dare say that someone who's said those kinds of things, they've definitely never pastored over any period of time, particularly pastoring a church that proclaims the reality and the truth of sin and of righteousness and the need for repentance and the need for conversion in lives and the need to walk in righteousness and to walk in the fullness of our conversion declaration. Because you see, that steps on toes, doesn't it? Some folks have told me after the particular message, well, pastor, you really stepped all over my toes. I have to admit to you, you know what? My toes have been stepped on the whole week or two prior to that as I've studied it and prepared for it. That's the type of ministry that I believe that Timothy was doing. And that's why Paul was telling him, Timothy, man, make sure and stay strong in the grace that is in our Lord Jesus. Beloved, in a biblical church, there is built-in hardships. There are built-in attacks, regardless of whether it's a denomination or a non-denomination. If they're truly preaching the gospel message and the full counsel of God's word, the enemy will not stay still. 
and he will not sit still simply allowing a church to grow in her effectiveness and in the furtherance of the gospel. When a church begins to move outside of its walls, begins to impact the community around it, begins to impact family and friends and neighbors and co-workers, the enemy is going to do anything and everything that he can to cause them to back away. Even as Phil and Herman backed away. That's what the enemy of our souls desires for each of us in the press and in the time. And beloved, one of the first attacks of the enemy is upon the leadership. And that's why we prayed and spoke about that for Smitty stepping up to be one of the elders here. The attack of the enemy is real. Paul clearly understood that. And he knew that Timothy understood it as well. Timothy had been with Paul through some of his missionary journeys. Now Timothy was pastoring a church. And that's why Paul was so concerned that the message, again, that Timothy was was given to and charged with, not only would Timothy stay strong, but he would also bring that message to the next generation and to those that followed. Look what he says here in verse 2. He says, the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Guys, duplication is absolutely necessary, critical in the life of the church. If we don't have duplication within the church, we will never touch the next generation. And beloved, if the next generation is not touched for the hope of the gospel, guess what? The gospel message dies with us. Is that going to be our 15 minutes of fame? They knew it. They believed it. But it wasn't shared. It wasn't proclaimed. Paul knew that Timothy couldn't do the job alone. It's not one man's responsibility. It is the responsibility of the body of Christ. And he tells Timothy here, he says, you need to have some faithful men to come alongside you. You need to have faithful men who are willing to carry the word on to the furthest reaches of humanity and on to that next generation. And in 1 Timothy, Paul gave an explanation of the requirements of those that would serve the church in the areas of elders or overseers. And included with those requirements, those that, that they would be faithful men with a good testimony, both in the world and in the church, as well as being able to teach. Paul knew that there would be battles. He knew that there'd be hardships. He knew that the hope and the message and the furtherance of the gospel could not and never should rest on one individual's shoulders. Paul goes on to give then three illustrations or pictures of what's necessary to be a good minister of the gospel. First, he speaks about being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I love Paul's soldier illustrations. We see that several times within his messages to the church. Look here in verse 3. He says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Paul was surrounded by soldiers. I mean, he grew up in a culture that was controlled by the Roman government. And the way that the Roman government maintained peace within the empire is with the amount of soldiers and the armament that they kept. The Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, was maintained by the sword. 
Paul understood what it was to be a soldier. He, not that he lived as one, but he saw them all around him. As a matter of fact, even in prison, they were all around him. And Paul understood that the well-trained Roman soldier of that day was completely focused on being a soldier. He couldn't have any outside interests. The Roman soldier, often away from home and family, sometimes for years on end, totally focused on the task at hand. And as a soldier of Rome, your greatest allegiance was to the emperor. Your personal issues all had to take a far distant second place. One commentator declared that a Roman soldier's single-minded purpose, his rigorous discipline, and the unquestioning obedience to his commanding officer, all of those combined to make the figure of a soldier an apt one for the servant of the gospel. If we're going to live our lives for Jesus Christ, we need to maintain the focus and the understanding that, man, all that I am is the Lord's. My wife is the Lord's. My family is the Lord's. My business is the Lord's. My welfare, my well-being, all of those are the Lord's. And I serve my great king in the midst of those things. That idea and that focus primary, not distracted by the events of the day, are being drawn into this world or into society's cares and concerns because, again, our greatest concern is for the kingdom of God. C.T. Studd, I mentioned him, I believe, last year sometime. He was a missionary to China, served under Hudson Taylor. He also served years and years in India and years and years in Africa. As a matter of fact, he died in Africa as a missionary, serving at the young age of 70. He he wrote a a multiverse poem or, or song that one little phrase in there has become very familiar to many within the church. It might be familiar to some of you. He wrote, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. See, guys, we can get so involved in the things of this world, but nothing in this world lasts for eternity. It's the things of God's kingdom and how we live our lives for the glory of his kingdom. That's what's going to last. That's not 15 minutes worth of fame. That's eternal fame. Paul next gives us the comparison of an athlete, and he also gives that comparison a few different times within his writings. He says in verse 5, he says, and also if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Competing according to the rules. Years of training, years of preparation go into making a, a good athlete. And when the time comes to compete, then the athlete coming out on that playing field or on the track or whatever it might be, he's got to be completely familiar with the rules of the game in which he's complete. I mean, just imagine for a minute, someone comes in, he's, he's a big, strong, powerful guy and says, man, you'd be a great football player. I don't know anything about football. That's okay. You're big. You're powerful. We want you on our team. We're playing a championship game today. Come on out. So this big burly guy, he comes on the field. He sees the opposite team with the ball. He runs over to the guy. He clobbers him. He grabs the ball, and then he runs to the other end. Totally against the rules. We'd never see that. Well, maybe in American football we would. (laughs) But you've got to compete by the rules. Otherwise, again, you become disqualified. 
What are the rules that we look at even, even as believers? Beloved, there, there are doctrinal, there are practical practices that pertain to, again, the right way that a Christian life should be lived. We have the word of God that we go by, not the teachings of man. There's got to be within the Christian's life, particularly with those that are serving the Lord in areas of ministry, obedience to and an and observable work of and the move of the Holy Spirit within their lives, not simply the abilities of a man. How horrible that would be and what a bad choice that would be for us as a congregation to look and see someone who is very powerful and very talented within the world system and say, wow, you'd be a great leader of the church. Oh, I don't see the Spirit of God moving on him. Oh, but he's a great businessman. He's a great administrator. He's so skilled in this area or that area. Perhaps he is the one to help us bring the church to where it needs to be rather than looking and saying, man, is this man full of the Holy Spirit? Is he directed by the principles and purposes of God? We've got to play by the rules. Otherwise, we become disqualified. A successful ministry without the reality of the truth of God and true love for the brethren becomes nothing but sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. And even Paul understood that the race had to be won with the fullness of the understanding that there is a crown that awaits those who run the race correctly. The world looks at a success totally different then the kingdom of God looks at a success. There are men who have pastored churches no more than 20 or 30 for years and years and years, and yet in God's kingdom's eyes, they are fully and completely successful because they poured into the lives of those people the truth and the honesty of God's word. Their successes in the kingdom of God. And there are men who have multiple thousands within their ministry that I believe that they are not successes and there is no crown that awaits them. They've run a powerful and a large, worldly, secular ministry, but it has not truly impacted people eternally. Lastly, let's look. Paul speaks about the hardworking farmer. Hardworking farmer, verse 6. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. One of the things I know is that if you're going to be a successful farmer, you've got to be a hardworking farmer. There, there, there's no such thing as a successful, lazy farmer. It just doesn't work out that way at all. And I might also add, to be a successful farmer, you've got to be a patient farmer, a patient. <laughs> Are they done yet? Pull them out. No, it's not done yet. No, no. Man, is it done yet? We pull it out. No, you're never going to get there that way. Man, we, we, we planted those weeks ago. It must be time. No, sometimes it takes months and months. The intensity and the, the purposeful actions of a, of a hard-working farmer can't be overstated. I know the need and the preparation necessary for the ground in order for him to plant the seed. You just can't go out, particularly if you live in southern Arizona. You cannot just go put seed in the ground, amen? Yeah, uh, the only thing that grows here is weeds, but uh, you, you've got to be, prepare the ground. 
done. You've got to do the work in advance that's necessary. And then after that, you've got to carefully, uh, again, guard and, and protect and consistently watering, consistently weeding the crops in the process, protecting it against predators that will come and, and get the early crop as well as destroy the fruit on the crop. You've got to watch over the crop as a hardworking farmer. And you, as a hardworking farmer, you have that continual hope of that final harvest, that return of the labors. And all of these issues, man, again, they picture the work of a minister of the gospel, preparing the soil, planting the right seed of God's word in due season, clearing away the weeds of false doctrine and and false teaching, anticipating that the word of God is going to accomplish what it's sent forth to do, and then harvesting the fruit of the labor in that time of ripeness. All of these activities, all of these concepts are necessary to fully minister God's truth and to be successful in the work that he's called us to. You might say, yeah, but pastor, you're, you're talking about ministers of the gospel. Aren't you talking about the preachers or maybe the elders? What have we shared as we've been going through this week after week after week that we all are ministers of the gospel? My pulpit may be here, Your pulpit may be across the desk where you work. Your pulpit may be across the fence or sitting with a cup of coffee with a neighbor. Your pulpit might be in the restaurant. Your pulpit is anywhere that the Lord leads you and I to be. How successful are we as ministers of the gospel? Paul ends this up for us today in verse 7. He says, Timothy, consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Paul understood that there's going to be a lot of voices, a lot of noise surrounding the work of the ministry. Just like there's a lot of voices, there's a lot of noise today that tries to draw us in a multitude of different directions. And a lot of times it's well-intending people that come, they've got multitudes of ideas, multitudes of programs that are meant to help us in the furtherance of the ministry. And yet so often they wander off from the pure teaching, the, 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 the pure preaching of the Word of God. They get into the plans and the schemes of man rather than the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. I love the story of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, in the years gone by. Man, when they were exploding in the late 60s, early 70s, I mean, literally hundreds and hundreds more people each week. It was growing like a wildfire. Church organizations and even secular media came to Pastor Chuck and says, we, we want to know your plan. We want to know your, your program of success. We see it working out so well. What are you doing? And his response to them is simply preaching the Word of God simply and allowing the Holy Spirit to add to the church as many as would be saved. Beloved, that's the program of God, not the program of man. We need to always remember it's not man's plans, but it's God's word that he promises will not return void. It's God's word. It's not the programs of man that cut to the very core of each and every individual's heart. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Not the plans and the programs of man, but God's word. It's the word of God and not the work of man that's able to, again, go in and melt the coldness and break that heart of stone. 
the most energetic, dynamic, charismatic speaker without the Spirit of God does nothing to change the inside of a man. That's the work of the Spirit and the Word of God. That's why Paul says, oh, Timothy, consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. I close with that thought for you today. As I shared, we're all ministers of the gospel. Different pulpits, different congregations, small, large. Sometimes we meet with our congregations daily. Sometimes we live with those that need the hope of the gospel. Consider the things that are said. Understand the truth of God's word and understand the impact of your life lived for the glory of God. 15 minutes of fame or 15 minutes of shame. The difference comes when you're living a life empowered by the word of God and by the spirit of God. The Apostle Paul exhorts us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 to share God's Word in season and out of season. We need to be ready to share the gospel message wherever we go with whomever we encounter. Jesus' message is for everyone and is needed by all. If you've been changed by Jesus, tell the world. We hope today's message on the open Word has kindled a fire in your spirit to share Jesus. If you'd like to listen again, find this message and many others online at theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast, gaining access to messages straight from God's Word as soon as we post them. Before our time with you is up today, Pastor David has a special invitation for you. Well, I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith, and it's given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area, you're looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Savior and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse, growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David. You'll also be able to get more information by calling 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Thanks again for tuning in today to The Open Word. Pastor David will return to share more from the book of 2 Timothy right here on The Open Word. Make us more.